If you turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Over the last couple years, we've been going verse by verse through the Gospel of John. And in doing that, we've seen the deity of Christ, His power, His majesty. We've been able to, to examine His life through all that is recorded in the Gospel of John, knowing that he was just scratching the surface of the things that Jesus did. But we're able to see his heart, his love for us, the way in which he ministered to the disciples and the plan of salvation in which he had for us. We're able to see his death and his resurrection and rising again from the dead and ascending into heaven. I know for us as a church, there's the, the possibility of coming to a place of knowing, knowing God's word, having solid doctrine, understanding the gospel, understanding how to proclaim the gospel, and yet missing so much as far as how it is that we are to be as a church, what the church is supposed to look like. And for that reason, we are in the book of Acts. It goes right from Christ's death and resurrection as Luke is is writing to the ascension, and then he brings us right into the second book, going from Luke to the book of Acts, and Luke writing the book of Acts. I think of the the, the song that we just sang. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. Like, I need you. We sang that song, and I, I don't... I, I know what was going through my mind. I'm, I don't know exactly what was going through your mind. But I, but I want to break this down for us just for a moment as we start diving into the book of Acts. We need him. We as a, a church are in desperate need of our Lord every hour. It didn't stop after the cross. Our, our salvation was completed and, and the work was finished as far as all that was necessary for our redemption. But Luke immediately goes into the book of Acts saying, we need him. Not just in salvation, but we need him literally like every hour. We need him. I need thee every hour in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide or life is vain. We need him every hour in our lives. He's a part of all that takes place. There's a potential for us to to come to a place of, of knowing God's word, knowing his promises, knowing the gospel, as I said before but having 
thoughts go through our minds as far as that person's never going to change. They'll never change. He's been like this for how many years or she's been like this for how many years? They're never they're never going to change. Or the possibility of having thoughts like we could never reach them. Their hearts are in a place where they're, they're so just brainwashed by whatever it is that they believe in their religion or amongst their culture or whatever it is to where we have the potential of saying things like, that is hard ground in which I don't think it could ever be penetrated. We have the potential of, of, of looking upon our country and saying, Things will never get better. It will never change. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. But I think that's where the book of Acts is going to come in and show us that is not the case when God, the Holy Spirit, is working in the church. I spent some time reading from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones' book with, called Revival, and I appreciate that book because it's this call towards revival within the church. And he wrote this over 60 years ago, and, and, and he says there's a curious tendency today. So remember, this is 60 years ago. So for some of us, it's, this is ancient history. Um, for others, you were maybe kids. But there's a curious tendency today for members of the Christian church to feel and to think that they themselves can do very little. So they tend to look to others to do all that is needed for them. Potential for us to sit in this church and to feel like I can't do hardly anything. What can I do? What can I offer? How can I serve? I don't have anything to offer. This, of course, is something which is characteristic of the whole of life today. For instance, men and women no longer take exercise and sport as they used to. Instead, people tend to sit in crowds and just watch other people play. Um, <laughs> that might be me. There, there was a time when people provided their own pleasure, but now the radio and television provide their entertainment and pleasure for them. And I fear that the tendency is even manifesting itself in the Christian church. More and more we see evidence that people are just sitting back in crowds while one or two people are expected to be doing everything. Now that, of course, is a complete denial of the New Testament doctrine of the church as the body of Christ, where every single member has responsibility and has a function and matters and matters in a most vital sense. I agree with that statement 60 years later. I, I think that possibly all of us might say it's, it's grown worse than 60 years ago. We, we live in a, in a time of, of many megachurches that exist where people come in and a few people do their thing and they leave and nobody maybe even knows that they came in or that they left. 
They don't stir the gifts that they have up within themselves. Rather, they just come and they listen and then they leave and they don't think about it again until the next week. But it doesn't take a megachurch to have that happen. It just doesn't. It, it happens here. It happens in our church. It, it happens in small churches where it's possible for us to have a mentality of, I don't think I could do very much. I don't think I have much to offer. I, I, I just, I want to go and I want to do what, what I'm supposed to do and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. But never looking at one another and, and, and looking around our congregation and saying, I'm responsible for those that are around me and I have gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me and I ought to stir these gifts up for the purpose of ministering to the rest of the body and, and to have the mentality of God has called me to be his disciple and to be his witness and to go and to proclaim the gospel. We are going to look in, in the book of Acts and we're, we're going to see a group of, of disciples as well as a number of followers of Christ very small in number. And they are going to radically change the world. The world. A group of small people without cell phones, without computers, without internet, without the ability to print things, without the ability to fly from one location to another in minutes or hours, without sound systems, without podiums, without churches, without megachurches, that they are going to go and they are going to radically, radically change the world. These are common people. They're not those that are those that have studied in great universities. They're fishermen. They're tax collectors. These are just common people who saw Christ die on that cross, waited, and found three days later he rose again from the dead. And it changed everything for them. They had a message, and the message was clear. The message was the gospel. And they had been commissioned, and the commission was clear, and it was to go to the uttermost parts of the world to proclaim the gospel. And the world was turned upside down as a result of it. And here we are today. Some of the fruit of what took place. The reason wasn't the greatness of these people. The reason was the greatness of our God. The reason was the Holy Spirit working in just mighty, mighty ways from people who said things like, I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour I need thee. And then they lived like that. And God radically used them for his kingdom. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, it begins by saying, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. 
until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of these things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We'll stop there just for a moment, looking at this prologue. Luke is speaking. He's writing this to someone whose name is Theophilus. The name Theophilus means um, loved of God or friend of God. It's someone that he's writing to, and he wrote the book of Luke to him as well. I'll just refresh your memory. In Luke chapter 1, in the first one, the very first verse and following, he says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, um, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things of which you were instructed. I researched this. I studied this. I'm writing this with a perfect understanding of the things that took place. I traveled with the Apostle Paul. I went on missionary journeys with him. I was with him throughout countless moments, listening to him and hearing of all that took place, and I'm writing these things down. Luke, what we know of him was that he was a physician. Colossians 4.14 tells us that he is Luke, the beloved physician. And Demas greets you there. Paul says that in Colossians. Um, We find Paul towards the end of his life. And towards the end of his life, you know the passage where he's saying, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. It's, it's, It's about time for me to go home to be with the Lord. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then he just says, be diligent to come to me quickly. Would you, Timothy, would you, would you come to me quickly? For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas left. Timothy, would you come to me quickly? Demas left. He he loved this world. He loved the stuff of this world. He loved the things of this world. He has forsaken me having loved this world. Remember Colossians, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you? Demas, he left. He loved the present world. But then he says, only Luke is with me. Only Luke's with me. What an awesome sentence to have in Scripture. As Paul's coming towards the end of his life, he's looking at all that's taking place, and he's saying, Timothy, can you come? Demas has left me. He loved the present world, but Luke's with me. And only Luke. He's with me. This is the man that's writing this particular book as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's with me. 
And so he's writing this to Theophilus, making reference to his previous writing in the Gospel of Luke, of the life of Christ. In verse 1 it says, The former account I made, meaning the book of Luke, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And we see that at the end of the book of Luke, it finishes up that way, where he specifically speaks of, of Christ and what he accomplished. And it says, it came to pass in verse 51, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So he finishes the book of Luke with, with this is what took place. He ascended the church returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And so now Luke goes from there to say, Theophilus, this is, I wrote that other book, the former account I made, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the, of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He's the, alone that gives us the information that Jesus was with the disciples. He was here on earth, appearing to them over and over again over a period of 40 days. 40 days from the time that he rose again from the dead till he ascended. We know that the women saw him at the tomb. Mary Magdalene saw him. The two men of Emmaus saw him. Peter saw him in Jerusalem. The ten disciples saw him. Eleven disciples saw him in John. Seven disciples saw him when he was fishing in Galilee. Um, and then again he appeared to the eleven disciples. Five hundred people at one time. First Corinthians tells us in, in chapter 15. And he appeared to James, the brother of the Lord. We know that he appeared over and over and over again to the disciples and to those who were following him over those 40 days giving them infallible proofs. Can't prove it wrong. These disciples were without doubt as far as that Christ had risen from the dead, just as he said. In verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Ten days, Pentecost would come. And he said to them, or I'm sorry, verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So he's telling them, stay in Jerusalem. John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And so they're hearing this and they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? At that time, when, when the Holy Spirit's given in, in, in such a way, will you restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You're not going to know that time when that time will come. 
He doesn't desire for us to know that exact time. But the time most, will most certainly come when Christ returns. You, you find it in, in Matthew 25 and verse 31 where it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a, sheep divides, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. That day is coming. The kingdom will come. He will restore the kingdom. But you don't know the time. It's not for you to know that time. But it will occur. Um, and the same is for us today. We still don't know the time when that will occur. You find in Mark chapter 13 where it gives instructions to, to, to them as well as to us where we're thinking of when will that happen and he says, take heed, watch and pray for you do not know when the time is. Just They were looking forward there in Mark chapter 13. He says, no, take heed, be, be careful and watch and pray. You don't know when that time is going to come. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to, and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. He says, therefore, watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly you, he find you sleeping. And what will he say to you? I say to all, Watch. And I say that, I wanted to go to that place because we don't know the time in which he's returning. We don't know the time in which that kingdom will be established. We don't know when his second coming occurs. But what we're told is, watch. You don't know when it's going to occur, so watch. We can look at signs of the times and we can look at things that God said would take place and we can find many, many things that God said would take place and we're finding them occurring and we can see stuff that's happening just globally right now and look at these things and say, that very well could be a sign that Christ is returning soon. But Christ's point here is not try to figure out the exact day. His point is, don't be sleeping when he comes. Don't be in a place of being sleeping. Just, and I, he doesn't mean resting. He means being in a state of spiritual sleep where you're inactive. You, you don't care. You're bearing the gifts that God's given you and not using them. There's no urgency to what's taking place in your life. There's no urgency there. He's saying, I say to you all, Watch. Have the mindset that he could come at any time and watch. In Revelation 16, verse 15, it says, he says, Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked as they, and they see his shame. Watch. In verse 8, it goes on in Acts chapter 1, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Then this is what's told to the disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you shall be my witnesses. You will be witnesses to me. I know for many of us, the idea of evangelism is something that's intimidating for us. We, we don't want to be seen as extremists. The idea of, of even mentioning something like hell or heaven or the fact that God might send somebody to hell is something that our culture that we live in right now would, would look upon us as just like, that, that is not nice. That's a, that's a, that's a horrible thing to say. You, and they'll, they'll, come, they'll come to you with something like, well, if, 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 if the God you serve is the kind of God that's going to send people to hell, then... Uh, then I, I don't want to know him because they don't get it. And our response could be to pull back like, okay, well, you know, like I don't know what to say. That didn't go well. It didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. And um, I don't know that I'm going to do that again anytime soon. Um, we may be afraid because they ask us questions and we just don't know how to respond. We don't, they, 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 they do the, the gotcha question and, and, and we feel like, oh man, I, I wish... You know, I wish that other guy was with me right now because he, he probably knows the answer and I shouldn't have done this on my own. It, the point here is God saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You're going to receive power to do these things as the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The whole point of this, of the Great Commission, is that you're not left as orphans. You're not left by yourself. That the Holy Spirit is going to come and He is going to work mightily in you and through you for the purpose of building His kingdom and bringing those to salvation. And He is the one that's doing that. You look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 19 where it says, But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Radical. Don't worry about what you're going to say. It will come. The Holy Spirit will work through you. There will be power that comes. And you start looking at people's testimonies. I mean, if we went around this room and say, how is it that you were saved? More than likely, it wasn't because you sat with someone and and asked every question that you could ever possibly have. And, and that person happened to be Josh McDowell. And he gave you every answer that you ever could want. And gave you all the proofs that you could ever have hoped for. More than likely you got saved because you realized that you were a sinner. And you found the greatest news that you ever could have heard in the gospel. Someone ministered the good news of the gospel to you. The Holy Spirit worked powerfully in your heart causing your heart to soften, causing your eyes to open. And it was this radical work that took place. It may have occurred in Sunday school. It may have occurred with your junior high friend. It may have occurred when the neighbor at the dinner table shared the gospel with you. It may have occurred when you were just listening to a brief moment there on the radio. The Holy Spirit works in powerful ways, and he does that. 
You see in John 14 and verse 16 where it says, And I pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And he does. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a comforter, given to us as a helper, given to us God with us to be able to powerfully work to enable us to be his witnesses. I have such great confidence in his abilities of what he is able to do. I pray that we go through this and we look and and we see that he tells us the Holy Spirit is going to be given and, and you're going to get power from this so that we don't have things that come into our minds as far as like, what, what, what do I have to offer? What gift do I have? God's never going to change that person's heart. That, that person's always been like that. These people are too closed, they're too hardened, they're too brainwashed. But instead that we would have the mindset of, the Holy Spirit can do radical works through us, in spite of us. But we're to be his witnesses. We're to proclaim the gospel. In Acts chapter 17, we see that, that Paul is there, and, 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 and it, it says Paul, as his custom was, went to them, and, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from Scripture, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. So for, for three Sabbaths, he's just there reasoning with them. It didn't happen immediately, but he's there, three Sabbaths, just talking with them, sharing his faith. For some of you, it may have been three years, it may have been three decades of sharing. But he's just saying, for three Sabbaths I share with them, I explain explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. Some weren't. But some were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, man, those people, they're hard to get, right? I mean, in your mind, like as far as like, who am I going to go to? Let's go to the like, most hardcore Greeks that don't know Christ. Let's go to, to the most hardcore Muslims. And let's, in our mind, we think, yeah, that's probably not the group I'm going to go to. But here it says, a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, join Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, And gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So what's their point? These people have turned our world upside down. Literally says it. They turn the world upside down. A world that there wasn't a church on every corner. You couldn't go to the internet and say, like, okay, tell me all that I need to know about the gospel. 
No blue letter Bible. No radio programs. No going to conferences. There was a group of people that believed the gospel. And they knew for sure that Christ had risen from the dead. And they had the Holy Spirit working through them. The power of the Holy Spirit working through them. And the result was people going and dragging them out saying, these people have turned the world upside down. Revival. God has the ability to turn this world upside down. In Philippians 4, verse 22, it says, All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of, the, who are of Caesar's household. How radical is that? Philippians chapter 4. All the saints greet you. But especially those who are in Caesar's household. Those that are there with the Caesar. Those that are there with the one who, who hates us, but they've come to salvation. You think of, of them? Those are the hardest people to reach. Those in the families of the Chinese Communist Party? Hardest ones to reach. Those that are in the family of, of the leader of North Korea? Hardest people to reach. Those that are in the family of Al-Qaeda? Hardest people to reach. And yet when the Holy Spirit is working... And those are going out and proclaiming their faith and not caring if they're getting dragged out. They could turn the world upside down. Caesar's household. There were those in Caesar's household that are saying, we greet you. We greet you. Tertullian wrote around the year 200. Um, says this, but so that this is just the year 200. Very early, early writing. We are but of yesterday. And we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. We went. The gospel went forward. We have reached everywhere. And that's how we ought to live today. You hear Paul calling upon us, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, walk, see then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. May the Holy Spirit fill us and change us and bring us to a place where there's urgency for the sake of the gospel, urgency to do that, urgency to minister in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, urgency for that. We have those that have gone recently to Colorado City to minister to these polygamous colon, this polygamous colony there. We have those that have gone to Utah to minister to the Mormons that are there in Utah. We have those that are heading off tomorrow for Haiti to minister in Haiti. We have the Andreas who are visiting us today that are on break from their time in Romania. Pastor Don, who's 
going all the time to different areas. But may we be a part of this. Sending and going and praying. Not worrying about like, I don't know what I would do there. But I would come. I'll be an encouragement to them. I, I can share the love of Christ with people. The Holy Spirit can work through me. I may not teach to thousands of people. I might, but I may not. But go. Think of our time in, in South Sudan where I was there and, and we just got a bunch of guys underneath a tree and, and, and we're ministering to them. Ross was teaching. Brent was teaching. We had guys from our church that are there and we're just, we're just, just sharing with them, loving on them. Angela and Karen sharing with the women, ministering to them and just being there. And, and the fruit that comes from that, we, we, we'd, have a, we'd be hard-pressed to even get into that area right now. I don't think we even could. And yet, you go to a place like that and it's just, the Holy Spirit can work through me. He can do that work in me. He can work in their hearts. I mean, when you're sitting with this group of men under this tree, and some women as well, and it comes up of husbands beating their wives. And this is the church, and this is the church leadership in this particular community, and every one of them beats their wives. Every one of them. And when we said that that's not a good thing, they're laughing. Like, what are you talking about? How else will they learn? And I'm like, well, I, I got other ways. I, I, I can... <laughs> But to be able to point, I mean, and, and God help us to change an area like that where the church leaders are beating their wives. To be able to say, like, this is sin, and this is horrible, and this is wrong, and this is why it is wrong, and sit down and just to, to teach them. It can cause that church to be just a radical light in that area of so much darkness. May we go, even to the uttermost parts of the world, but here as well, the way we minister, the way we care, the way we care for the body. There's a whole group of, of people, and I think nearly 100 people that are heading up to family camp this next week. Pray for us as we go. Pray for the kids that are going. Some of them need help. Send them. Help financially. Send them if you can't go. But the idea of being a part of sending missionaries and loving on our church and caring for those that are in need, God help us to have hearts that are in a place of how can we minister best in this situation because we want to do that. We want to minister the best way that's going to care for them and minister to them and make it so that they're able to, to grow in their relationship with you. God give us wisdom as far as how we can do that best and to be the most loving people we possibly can be. And the Holy Spirit will come upon us just as he did there and give us the ability and the heart and the power to do all that we need to do. We can turn this world upside down. Not because of us, but because of him. He can turn this world upside down through a small, small group of people. These people had an urgency. God help us to have an urgency for these things.
When he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you to heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Second coming. I wish I had more time to get into that right now, but let me leave you with this. Here's these angels that are there. Why are you still staring up into heaven? Why are you still gazing up into heaven? The point is, have you just been commissioned to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of this world, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to me? Stay here in Jerusalem for a little bit longer, but then you're going to go. And you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do all that I'm calling you to do. We are going to watch this as we go through the book of Acts. But God help us to live it as we go through the book of Acts. May this book not have a tiny impact on us. May it have a great impact on us. If we're comfortable where we're at, thinking like, "Mm, that's not going to change, that's not going to change, that will never happen. May we read what God has done in church history and say, he can do it, he did it then, and he can do it now. He could change hearts. God, give me boldness to be the one who goes and is a witness to you here and even to the uttermost parts of the world, proclaiming the good news till you come. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful. We're so thankful for your word. What an awesome thing it must have been to gaze up into heaven, seeing you ascend. But your kindness in sending angels to say, why are you still there? Christ is coming again. In the same way he's coming again. But now may we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who has worked in the Old Testament and has worked in the New Testament and has worked for the last 2,000 years, through his power, may we have a bold witness to go and proclaim the good news at every opportunity. And Lord Jesus, please turn this world upside down. For you, for the gospel, for your glory, and that they might spend eternity with you in heaven. If necessary, Lord, please turn us upside down first. Give us the urgency that we need. Hearts that are after your own heart. And the boldness, knowing that we are empowered by your Holy Spirit, to give us the confidence that we need to go and to be your witnesses. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.